0: Everybody should have an outline that says 10 Crucial Issues for the Church from First Corinthians. It's on the vertical orientation of the paper. That's what I'm going to work off of uh, tonight. And uh, kind of going to approach this a little bit differently than I normally do this type of, of study. Uh, I would suspect that you're at least a little bit familiar with With the book of 1 Corinthians, it is a church, I mean it's a book written to the church uh, in southern Greece, uh, the city of Corinth. It was an ancient city, Uh, it was an old city when the Apostle Paul came to it and and preached the gospel. It was a vile and pagan city. It was notorious, of course. It was a port city. It was a city uh, where there was a, a lot of commerce. Uh, With those types of things, typically go uh, all types of carnal vices. So it was a very decadent uh, society, and I would say in some ways similar to what we're looking at in our world uh, today. Sometimes we are quite shocked at what is celebrated and affirmed in our world today. I would say for the most part there's nothing really new that these sins have been around uh, since the fall. And so what we want to do is be the light in the darkness. We want to push back against the darkness. We do not want to affirm that which is evil. Uh, we want to stand for that which is is true.
1: I know Drew did the
0: book of Romans last week. We typically think of Romans as a book that is heavily doctrinal. In fact, I think he said something to you along the lines of uh, again, going back to an outline, very easy outline. First 11 chapters deal with doctrinal matters. Doctrinally dense. The last uh, 12 through 16, what is that, five chapters? It deals with practical application of the Uh, therefore brethren, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's what you do with what you learn. And so as I say, I think the book of 1 Corinthians gets a little bit of the the short sheet uh, treatment, but I think there's a lot of doctrine, and I think there's a lot of important things for us here, the things that are relevant to us as a church. Uh, A lot of you young people, you're, you're moving toward the upper end of those teenage years. You're going to soon be adults. And you're going to be thinking about adult things. You're going to be making adult decisions. And you need to have godly convictions as you move forward. And so uh, let's begin to, to look at these things. I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on each uh, one of these. But let's look first of all at the foolishness and the centrality of the gospel. If you'll look there beginning in verse 18 of chapter uh, 1. Paul wrote, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, amazingly enough, and I, I sat with a young couple, uh, in fact, I've been sitting with them fairly frequently over the last month or so. They're not members of this church. You don't know. Don't try to figure out who they are. You've never seen them before in your life. So, But basic questions, tell me about your conversion experience, what is the gospel? And, uh, you know, you thought that I'd ask them, can you tell me how to build a nuclear bomb in the basement? And that they were quite befuddled about that. And, you know, years ago I, I heard some guys say, you know, if you cannot explain your theology, and I'll, I'll just kind of amend that. So, if you cannot explain your gospel to a ten year old, you haven't mastered that gospel that hasn't mastered it. Okay, And so we need to be able to quickly, again, to give uh, the reason, the apologia for that hope that is within us. And so, why is the gospel foolish? Well, think of it from a worldly perspective. You're telling me that this guy, that you're claiming was born to a woman that had never been involved with a man and he was actually, what now, the God-man? That that he was both fully God and fully man? And this guy never did anything wrong. He he never sinned. And again, so many people might even have that category. But then they killed him. And you're saying he was raised from the dead? Now either one of two things. Either either he wasn't dead, it was a hoax, or somebody lying about seeing him after they put him Right. Something's wrong, but you're telling me that this guy that never started a business, never ran a nation, never led an army, this guy is the person I'm supposed to trust for my eternal salvation. Pretty silly idea, isn't it? From a worldly perspective. And so the world sees it as foolish, but now there's another category. Paul doesn't use it here. But I, I, I hear this constantly. The category of harm. The gospel is harmful Because it, it is based on the presupposition that you're a sinner who needs saving. And the idea that me, and more importantly, God, the Word of God, condemns you for your sin, for your attitude and action, is an atrocious idea. It is a horrible offense in the current culture, And so you need to know what the gospel is. You need to understand that it is absolutely essential. There is no church. There is no salvation apart from this gospel. And we're going to state clearly what the gospel is a little later uh, tonight. But I want you to notice uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Now does anybody here Know the significance to what was then center now north play, of this particular passage of scripture. Joey, you're nodding your head. What, what's the significance? That's the first, uh, that's the passage from the per- first uh, sermon we preached. That's it's it. That's it. I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ in crucified. And then that, that really gets at the gospel. It is the person of the work of. Jesus Christ. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But but here here's the thing, and I've been hearing this for years. I need sermons that are sort of life giving, life affirming, life application. How do I be better? How do I do better? You know, all of these things. I determined you know nothing among you, no godly good. No, 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 no foolish, you know how to work for a jerk sometimes. You know how to live with a jerk sometimes. So here's the thing: you're ma- No, I'm not going to forgive me, Lord, for even even say even thinking such uh, things. I'll just say that none of us are real bargains to live with. And we'll leave it at that. But we have to preach Jesus Christ in Christ's life. You think? Duh. That's what the church is all about. Yeah, that, that upon this rock, the confession, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. You'd think that'd be good enough. But the modern church thinks they've got to have something else. And actually, they demand something else. And we're exactly those that Paul wrote to Timothy and speak with them. those that will gather to themselves, those that will say what their itching ears wants to hear. So, the foolishness and the centrality of the gospel. Issue number one. Second issue, chapter three. What I call the myth of the carnal Christian. Now, I stirred up the morning's nest not long after I preached that first song, Joey. Uh, I went down to my good brethren at the Birmingham Baptist Association, and I had a little talk. Everybody's heard me mention this before, but uh, three myths that are destroying the Southern Baptist Convention. Imagine me, a young punk like myself, talking to a bunch of old buck pastors. Uh, about what I think is destroying the Southern Baptist Church and the entire evangelical world. But one of the points was the myth of the carnal Christian, the divorce from, as, from Christ as Lord, as the role of Christ uh, as uh, Savior, and the perversion of the perseverance of the saints. Okay, uh, We're messed up on all three of those things. But the concept here that is lifted out, taken out of context and mis- mis- misunderstood is found here in chapter 3, verse Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, that I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual uh, people, but as people of the flesh, as sorrows, as carnal, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready, ready for You are still of the flesh. You're still carnal. You're still sorrows. Okay? Now what is Paul saying to them? He is saying, that you are still thinking in worldly categories and you're acting on ungodly motives and you're not seeing your life, your world, your church, everything through a prism, through a lens that's saturated in the gospel. You're thinking like babies. A theology got kind of introduced about 150 years ago a man named Louis Spirit Chaper founded Dallas Theological Seminary Um, and uh, he came up with the concept of the carnal Christian made very popular uh, through both Schofield Reference Bible Ryrie Reference Bibles, and then ultimately a little pamphlet that if you're a baby boomer you know exactly what I'm going to talk about called the Four Spiritual Laws given out by Campus Crusade and Christ. I think they have taken the offense section out, but my bless my dear mother's heart, she had a whole drawer full of them, and so I've, I've managed to wrangle you, and I, I rankled more than a few of the old guards when I criticized this little poor spiritual law trap. But in it, he's, he says, there are three types of individuals. There's the unbeliever that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, There's the believer who is filled with the Spirit that has Christ on the throne, and then there's this third category that he's really saved, but Jesus is not on the throne of of his heart. And there was a little diagram that you could see that. Folks, there's no such thing and notice notice my modifiers here. Of a content, happy, satisfied, perpetually sinning child of God. Okay? There's no such thing. If if a true Christian is living in an unbroken pattern of sin, if, they, if, if they're not the most miserable wretch in the world, the real issue is we're not there okay. And so, do Christians act carnally? Do they sin? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We're not saying we're perfected in this life. We are not. But, uh, and y'all know my kind of the presenting issue. You know, I don't know what y'all think. I don't know what you do at home. Y'all may be the biggest reprobates in the world when you get home. I don't know. Please don't tell me you are. Okay. I don't know that. But let me tell you what I do. I got a pretty good idea who's here on Sunday and who's not. What does the Bible say about that? When you feel like it, y'all go to church. But if you don't feel like it, it's okay to don't. It's right there in the text, right? Isn't it? It says, Don't forsake the sin. So, yeah. So if you're in the habit of doing that, it says, you know, there's some in the habit of doing that, but you ought got to pay more careful attention to this issue as the day draws near. And there's only one way that day is, is drawing. It's near. It. Okay? I don't know when it is, but it's coming. And so when I see somebody that's complete washout, complete dropout, they're living in a perpetual season of sin. That's not me judging. Just me taking the word of God and saying that's the deal. Again, I'm talking about those that are sick and all of that type of thing, shut ins and so forth. But a true Christian loves to be gathered with the people of God. He hates being absent. He's miserable in perpetuating that. Okay? So this really in in terms of kind of the modern conception of I can live like hell but go to heaven, it ain't so. Okay. You just, yeah. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a horse. Always remember that, right? Everybody got that? one Walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's what? Okay. All right. Third issue: Church discipline, chapter five. It's actually recorded that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind not tolerated even on Table for it. A man has his father's wife. Then he goes on. Okay? Gives up the details of that. Look at verse 9 of chapter 5. Evidently there was a letter that preceded the book of 1 Corinthians that we do not have. Okay. But he says I wrote you my letter not to associate with sexually with more people. No. This is this everybody gets mad at me. and it's orgastic. He like, yes, didn't do anything called call it. Okay? Look said. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral world. The reader swims for top. thousand you have, need to go out of the world. Yes, take the gospel to the unbeliever. But those people that display these characteristics that make the claim of being a brother, purge that evil person from among you. Deliver, verse 4 and 5, deliver this man from the being outside the boundaries of the church. You sin? I want you to have all the sin that's in you. Now, honestly and truly, this never happened to me. Okay? true. But back in my day, young kids were known to slip around and smoke cigarettes, okay? And it does terrible things in your body, okay? Don't do it. Don't pick it up, okay? But if, I've heard of parents that if they called their childhood they would go out and buy a package of cigarettes put it right there on the desk in front of them and say start smoking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and let, let me assure you that by the time they got to about the 6th grade cigarette they were ready to go on to Okay? And so you want to smoke? You can smoke all you want to. You want to see it? Okay. And again, the point is, we desire them to be miserable whatever, whatever degree. And some of you heard me pray for people you love and so say, I pray that they'll be the most miserable person in the nation as ours. Some of you heard me say pray And I mean, it, I'm not kidding. it's not yet. Not to provide redundance. Okay. And so this is good for the health of the church, it's good for. The the world as they look at the church and say there is a difference yep. in these people they, they, they demand certain uh, behavior has, has there been abuses in the name of church discipline? Absolutely absolutely Okay, but that doesn't mean that it's not a biblical concept and a biblical practice that should be observed in the church third issue church discipline four chapter six lawsuit and Someone very close to me, many, many years ago, uh, had some, some serious health issues. And uh, the doctor watched some things and they almost died. Okay? And they ran up tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, of dollars of medical Okay, as a direct result. And guess what? The doctor and the hospital sent them the booze. And you had that? They did it. And so they were thinking, we need to have lawsuits, we need to be and their pastor told them, no, you can't do this, you can't sue someone else. Okay? Now, what was going on in As a way of personal advancement, people were calling people into court, and by winning their case, They gain social status that is kind of the background. So the first thing is it involves a prohibition on Christians suing one another. I just use the word suing, going to court against each other. That those things should be resolved in the church. There should be enough wise people in the church that they can prohibit something like that from airing of the public. Okay. Now, I don't know because this really might work. We faced this in a Greek class, at least in the spirit and Issue. Uh, and I came up with a very good solution. That when you take these issues to the church, if there can't be agreement and the right, the wrong can't be right, then the one that is judged your guilty. Know, should be disciplined by the church removed from the church as an unbeliever. And then the believer is free to lie. So the tax Because the prohibition is in front. Now that may be just a little bit too too snub and too snappy response. But the prohibition is that even to the extent when you're dealing with a fellow believer, maybe the best thing is to Maybe the best thing is to obviously wrong. I am not going to dishonor my Lord and Savior by making a public air of this, this issue. Okay? And so uh, that's that's what's going on uh, today. All right, still in chapter six. Section one. We, we just spoke to this the other day. And I'm, I'm more and more mm-hmm. convinced, I've read a little bit more on the, on the subject of uh, what any shame that he was attempting to do with whatever his church and his neighbor and so was in the church. And it seems to be that uh, you know, he was uh, trying to round off the edges of, of what the Bible says about intimate sexual uh, behavior. You know, remember what I said about the gospel? is That in and out of the cell an indictment of sin. Notice verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6. For do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Simple play out of that on some of the Georgian English. The unrighteous ain't going to heaven. Y'all clear about that? Alright. Do not be seated, neither the sexual nor the moral. Well we it practice on What does the Bible say about on the It's what? Sin. Sin. You notice one of the three answers, is always when I ask you a question, what's on the safe value? Thank you. Thank you. Sin. It's sin that can be forgiven, it's not even part of the point. sin, but it is not something that can be accepted, normalized, and far and celebrated within You know, I've told you before, and and sometimes I think people think I'm I'm always looking to debate and argue and fight and all fight, and I'm I'm truly not that one. But when you're pushed up against what the scripture says and clearly says, then you have to say no, no, this is what it is. And so, what are we going to have to say to the culture and the individual? this. is I, I heard this morning uh, that one of the guys I listened to was saying that uh, the president has said, I forgot what the answer was, uh, unspeakable, evil, or something in regards to the Hamas and their attack upon uh, Israel. And that may be one of the things they said that I agree with I'm, I'm sure. Um, he may have said that that means to I would agree with that. I wouldn't take his word for it. I don't want to it According to the worldview of this political party, how can you say that that is an unsuitable evil? If abortion is not evil, homosexuality is not evil, and all of these other crazy things that you have to affirm and celebrate around people, why is this evil? You can't pick and choose. Either you define evil biblically or you just define it as the things that make me. I would tell like to live in a world which the standard is what fits me on. Well, that's that's good. Again, how can you even have the category of evil according to this godless worldview in which there are no absolutes, there's no transcendent reality beyond? what they're injured, what satisfied what was the pleasure. But I just mm-hmm. found that interesting that he used that term. And so what does it mean? Somewhere deep within his heart, that man knows that there's a real evil and there's a real life and there's a real truth and that what they stand in him. But he is so suppressed the truth. His conscience is so severe, it's hard, hard. It's so hard. Let's see. It was absolutely contradicting itself. It. Okay. So, the issue of sexuality, morality, uh, in general. Marriage and divorce, chapter uh, 7. Paul goes into some general principles, biblical principles, in regards to uh, marriage, okay? And so, uh, there is a mutuality in marriage and that uh, notice verse 4 for well, the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does that there is a neutrality of ownership uh, for the blessing and benefit of the participants to that marriage he says a great deal well, I've told you before I have heard people that profess to be Christians say something along this lines to submit to my husband. None of these women here have to submit to their husbands. I went there today day got pulled out of the Bible. They asked you, you may disagree as to how I leave my home or how I teach on the subject of home. But just like we said about the issue of the doctrine of action and predestination, you may not agree with my view, but you can't say, well, I still believe that stuff. It's right there in the Bible. It's right there in the The words are there. They mean something. Okay? Yeah. I don't think I'm wrong about it, but there can be some grounds for it, some disagreement. But again, you need to go dig it out for yourself and figure out what the Bible teaches. Okay? And so, that's foundational um, to, to marriage. Here is. In, in this particular section uh, uh, seems to give at least uh, in my understanding uh, an avenue that allows for a divorce. Right? We do not desire divorce. We do not term divorce. We desire permanence. In marriage we believe that is biblical that whatever issues are should be resolved. Particularly resolved between uh, those that profess uh, to be Believer, But notice what he says there in uh, verse 15. If the unbelieving partner separates let it be so. In such cases the brother or sister is not a slave not to call them to peace. My understanding is if somebody says, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone," The remaining partner, the believing partner categorized It's not required to chase around the world. That marriage can end on uh, that ground. Now, that begs a lot of other questions. Is there freedom to, to, uh, to remarry and all of this stuff? I'm not, I'm not even going uh, to get into those issues. But we believe that because marriage is the picture of Christ and his great love in our church, that we must always fight and defend marriage, and that, again, there was. At best, a couple of reasons that Christians could avoid. One is, and again, the idea of um, two believers. This goes back to, the, talk about church discipline. If you walk out on your map, you are sinning. You have sinned. Okay? If you do not repent of it, you're in a professional state of sin. If you don't reconcile your mat, you're in a professional state of sin. Church and I stand silently by and say, That's okay. Don't get along, don't get along. along with the criteria? I heard a giggle. I got one giggle. I don't know who it was. Yeah. Yeah. What's my line? You come into my office, tell me to leave your married clothes. You say, I'm just not happy. What does Pastor Tim say? That's what got to do with marriage. There you go. There you go. Amen. Amen. I don't care. I don't care if you have it or not. got nothing to do with me. So. Marriage should be a joyful discussion. But it's just, it's just, you have to fight for it. And we fight and we're from the Because it's what's good. good for God's people. It's what's God's will, and full of faith. It makes the statement of the gospel to Jesus. So there's the issue. Seventh issue matters of conscience. Okay? What's the number one, at least in my lifetime, number one issue of conscience has to do with use or not use of that? Okay? That's all it is. In fact, this is what I'm talking about. Again, he's not a member of this church. You don't know him. I'm trying to figure out who he is. You don't know him. Okay? But he's talking about that. He was in church, and from what I can gather, this guy was a laundry, a Christian, a faithful member in the family, another church. And he was in church, with a guy who tried to make everybody kind of sign it off. I'm going to do this, 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 all laundry lists. And, really and a lot of other things, but he decided it was better that I go somewhere else. And I said, Well, I do not teach that you know, alcohol is absolutely prohibited in any association with alcohol. Sin. I'll warn you next that my preference is you don't use it, I think it's very dangerous, If you're not 21 years old, it's a sin, period. Just, let me get that out there a Period. Period. End of the discussion, okay? your parents say you can't, end of the discussion, okay? But um, that is a matter of conscience. Some people say, well, if somebody sees you, it destroys your uh, witness. Well, uh, maybe. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to talk about certain liberties in Christ. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's a matter of conscience, okay? And that, in, in my growing up, I can remember days that when alcohol began to be serving in some of the little restaurants around uh, our product and our hometown, in the towns that we would go put up there, and, uh, my parents would quit going to those places. They didn't want to be seen, they didn't want to think of that. That was probably a little bit legalistic, okay? And that, that's their tendency because of having kind of the context that they live in, but they didn't want to be a poor witness. They were not buying alcohol in a restaurant like that. They didn't want to be a Some people feel the same way about this. I don't want somebody to see me going into a multiplex. They'll think I'm going to you know, triple R X, G, Y, you know, whatever movie. when I'm going to see Andy or something. <laughs> so, but you see what I'm saying? There are issues that just aren't black and white. We have to be discerning and we have to be able to allow people to live in these matters of conscience and stay uh, in fellowship uh, with you know, matters of conscience, chapter 8. The eighth thing, uh, women in the church now. He doesn't get into the issue so much in terms of what he does later in 1 Timothy, uh, related to qualifications for eldership. Church, uh, suffice it to say, I'm absolutely I'm 100% convinced uh, that the Bible does not affirm women holding the office of elder in the church. Okay? The pastor. Okay? And I'll go so far also that they should not teach and have authority over me. Okay? Um, so, okay, um, yeah. there's so, some souls. In fact, a good friend of mine, Pastor, a a church. Not in the state. You don't know him. You've never met him. You don't know who he is. But he called me last week, in fact. And not, they weren't having to be through the law. They just said, here's some things, and what do you think? And, and asked me about these passages. And I said, we've really been a while, since so I looked at them uh, really uh, closely. Uh, the suggestions some places that people uh, look. I mean, they're not allowed to order any women or anything like that. <coughs> how, how do you? Uh, you like to the women that are gifted to ministry uh, in uh, the church. Now, chapter 11, this very strange thing, I'm not even going to try to resolve it for you tonight. But let me just
1: tell Sunday morning,
0: you women will to pray and prophesy, bring the head coverings, okay? Alright? Just, just go ahead and do that. And so, uh, you have to understand what prophesying is. And there's a whole debate about what that is. But I think what wait to hang. I tell what, prophesying ain't. It ain't preaching. Whatever was going on, it wasn't preaching. But again, he calls for this, and we can talk about that uh, later. notice what he says in chapter 14, which is as problematic as that. Uh, verse uh, 33. God is not God. And in all the churches of the saints, so the women should keep silent in the churches where they are not permitted to speak. It should be submission, as the law also says. So, what does it mean? Well, he's already said if you're going to pray cross site you're going to Speak. You're going to do that. You got to do it with the head cover. Okay. Now, uh, then come back here. you so we got to be silent. So again, what does it mean? And from my understanding, and I, I have I didn't do a phd on this passage, but, uh, but he is not speaking in an absolute prohibition the when they were saying anything in the midst of the congregation, uh certainly in terms of seeing uh things that we would normally think of as sort of being involved in uh within a church. And uh there's uh, I, a friend of mine was telling me about something going on in his particular Sunday school class, and then we very profound doctrine of era, being a part of the city, you need to talk to the pastor that. I, I don't need it. It's not my church, it's not my place, but you really do. And he did. The next thing he talked he, about, Mrs. Mann, he told me what she said, the next teacher she said about this. And she got it right, she right on the Bible. Like, whoa Whoa, whoa, what now, Jeep? What she said? Now, that's a bit of is teaching a Sunday school class, exercising authority over me? Uh, we really don't do Sunday school classes here. Which ladies teach. You okay? can argue and you it back, back and forth. You know, but that's just we don't we don't do it. Okay, and uh, so it's something uh, that we can talk about. Suffice it to say, uh, I think most likely. We The so called gift of prophecy in our our time. uh, There have been a lot of things we have to work out in that particular issue. I do not think the silence is absolutely walking over. You can't say another word. I don't think that shows me But it's an interesting subject, and it's something that brings about quite a bit of an answer in a lot of. You know, you can this. Both in the church and in the office. I think I've seen men being oppressive despots as often as I've seen women in the bell okay. So, you can, Whatever role you have husband or wife, man or woman you shouldn't sure see them in the field. So, women in church. The night thing. See? Is, it, is, is that stop, everybody's mad about something. And, uh, nobody's mad. I must be talking about it. Alright. Okay. Charismatic gifts. Uh, chapter 12 deals with kind of, in general, uh, he, he, uh, uh, various types of gifts. He gets into the details of prophecy and tongues more specifically. Now, I am not the classic John McCarthy dispensational cessationist in here. That's really not where I am. But for all practical purposes and intents, I'm a cessationist. Okay? I'm <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, the gift of prophecy certainly under the Old Covenant was a gift of speaking revelatory it certainly continued in the life of the apostles as they were inspired to, to preach and to write scripture. It may have extended slightly further out uh, from that. But I, I believe for the most part, uh, prophecy uh, is not a gift that is essential to the church, but you have to close the camera. And if you close camera, that's your doctrine, every, then everything the prophet says has to be to do the does it not? So, uh, I, I'm not on board. Uh, you can read John Piper and Wayne Groove. They're slightly open. Some I often say I'm not quite as closed as John MacArthur. I'm not quite as open as Wayne Groove and John Piper. So I don't know that puts me exactly. But it is a problem. God told me to tell you. Okay? That, that's, that, that's really, I mean, I'm deeply convinced I need to talk to you. And, and I really believe the Lord has convicted my heart that I really need it. Now that's a different pattern. That's a different file, Lord. But I will be careful. And, and I grew up in churches. Let me tell you something. It, it was very common for a to talk about what God told me And We weren't carried back. That was just kind of the accepted link. But I think I would suggest be very careful about that particular issue. Issue of tongues. I'm convinced. That yeah, what went on with that Pentecost was there were people that did not speak uh, Aramaic whatever it was that Peter was normally speaking in, and as Peter spoke, they heard him speak in their language, the language they sure understood, a known, recognizable, well defined language. Okay? That's what happened at Pentecost. Okay? It happened a few other times as recorded in the book There is nothing in Scripture that makes me think that people. You know, having spasms and flopping like a chicken and spit flying everywhere and swallowing their tongues—Godly and is anything of God, okay? That's my position. And listen, if you're inclined to speak in tongues, I will interpret for you, but you just pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars for it. Thank you. for that. Okay, so you just, you just, you just just, just rear back and let it fly. Okay, but can God still do that? Absolutely. Can God bridge the communication? Yeah. Absolutely. But the other stuff, I think it's much nonsense. Maybe it's in some cases. Okay? But if you have a need to speak to a Russian and God confirms, listen, this guy's going to hear the gospel and hear from you. He makes people happy, he bridges that time of prayer he's But he's still the same God who gave people that, that, that God's the same God now He was 2,000 years. I've heard of one gentleman that I respect greatly, the late Larry Jericho, Larry's preached here. Uh, he preached in one week, you know, probably six months over my, my sermon. I mean, and he preached longer than I did, believe it or not. He was longer when it could be. But uh, very likely. But he said he thinks that happened to him in the Russian missionary. That he was trying to communicate, that I was trying to translate, and he was just going nowhere. And he was talking and the guys and totally translator. You mm-hmm. understood? So, so that's my take on, on character gift. Final issue, uh, the gospel and salvation. Again, we need to be really clear about what the gospel is. And I think Apostle Paul gives as concise definition of what the gospel is. Right in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered you as a first and forth, but I also received that Christ died for our sins the in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day of the in accordance with the scriptures, and he was appeared to there's the gospel. That's the testimony of the person of the Jesus Christ. The gospel is something that you've heard outside of you. Read it in evangelicalism and you this, Something evangelism, southern views. The gospel is about something that happened to you. The gospel is something that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ across the cross of Calvary. When he was subdued, he was your substitute, he experienced the wrath of God before you. That is the difference That is uh, the gospel. Notice also what he says that um, this gospel that brings back into verse One, you receive it, you stand in it, you're being saved, but what? You go back. You persevere. You continue. In fight there's that concept again. And so uh, the gospel is, is tied to the historical reality of the resurrection. All unpacks that very clearly the essential nature of the resurrection. Now again, I told you in my growing up, kind of a boogeyman, the false teacher, or what we call liberal sleep, they like to be called progressive, and I don't sound nice. Uh, but there were not all of them at this point that they were denied the literal body of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think maybe the most, most notorious example now is why the Mart Ironman, the deep do school. But they're out there out right there. I mean, there is are that I don't think, I don't know why they would be thinking that they Christian or religious. Or, you know, I don't I don't know what they're doing. But um, but we still need to stand for historical physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ be my raised, we all means for much. But we've been found to lie. Uh, so it, it was necessary. Don't let anybody say that. Just they followed these raised and that was enough you know to them uh, You don't get crucified upside down. Just uh, you kind of how but You don't stand faithful to them, testifying uh, something that you really didn't happen. It really happened. Christ is righteous. Might throw in one other thing? Look at verse twenty-two there. For it is an Adam all night, also in Christ shall all be made alive. We're we'll going to talk about some calls on Sunday or another call on Sunday this week. But, uh, so, for all, let me say, all over an Adam, are well, those two all equal? Some every, plants. Every individual is an Adam. That's universal. But not everyone will be made in the meaning of to be a careful reader, in text, okay well those are kids ready. anybody back yet? I think I I'll be thank y'all I enjoyed Doing this, uh, everybody knows I like doing it in smaller I will. Uh, what, y'all trying to get out of here at 745? You're going to do another song, y'all. Yeah? Okay. okay. Uh, any questions that I can answer? I have a good sign. It was really like that. I mean, at least you can say, Brother don't go see it. I mean, you know, anyhow.